0: It's time to get your shit together with the Gist of It podcast with your host, Chris Piercy.
1: Hi there, this is Chris Piercy with the Gist of It podcast. And uh, joined today, and uh, we've just been having a conversation pre recording uh, about his name, uh, Geraint Clark. I mean, the, the, you yeah. know, the, 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 there's one part that's easy and one part that's not so easy. Uh, formerly known as uh, G, because no one knows how to pronounce it um <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly um, why is it yeah as discussed it's not a it's not a rap name it's not a something you've told people to call you it's just like I remember meeting you um at uh, the session which was a magic convention for those who are not uh familiar 2014 I think it was And like I don't know how to say his name I don't I like I, it was a 50 50 on what I was going to say it's like yeah, G. <laughs> because I knew that everyone else called you it so yeah I don't think everyone else has fell into the same boat no. it's a nice
0: get out of jail free card um, you, you know like you just said a lot of people think that I call myself G they think that it's a cool name that I've given myself but you know I work with a lot of Americans so it's a very strange name to them they would never have heard it from a newsreader or a cyclist that's in the country
1: how so, do they say it then?
0: Yeah, I mean, they think I'm French. They say which <laughs> you know, I, I've only corrected them once. Half the time, I just let them. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's the, that's it. That's correct.
1: That's correct. I'm from Toulouse." Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the reason I've got you on, um, yeah, apart from being a, a friend who like was randomly reconnected on Instagram, so I was like, we should have a chat. Um, myself and G <laughs>
0: um,
1: uh, f- found a love of stoicism stoic philosophy at around about the same time in life. Um, and I think that it had a pretty profound impact on the both of us. So I think we'll be diving into uh, some chat about that um, in uh, at some point throughout it. You know, I have I have no plans. I, I never do with any of these things. Um, well, I formerly knew you as a, as a magician but you had a, a bit of a strange way of finding yourself into a magic career. And then you've... Are you, how, how involved with magic are you now at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say very
0: involved. Um, it is my career at the moment. I don't necessarily perform. I am the CEO of Illusionist.com. Um, so I guess that go, that goes into a very... Uh, full-on interesting story that maybe people would kind of seek some some kind of uh, solace in is when you are in a company such as that, everything you do is under a microscope. Everything you do is under scrutiny. And I found myself in a position where um, everything I did right, nobody said a thing about. (laughs) And everything that I did wrong everyone had an opinion about. Oh. And it, it was often, I guess like you see it now, like, like the Twitter mob, isn't it? I don't know if you're kind of familiar with that, but this like faceless keyboard warrior, anonymous screen name on a forum where yep. they invent, um, they invent a reason behind your actions. And they say it with so much conviction that everyone else believes it. And, um, yeah, I just found myself, you know, I wrote like a statement about it, um, on social media. I I just found myself coming away from that online aspect. I'm still very much involved. I still create tricks. I still work with artists. Um, and I guess even more, so now my career's developed, you know, more as like the head of a team, um, managing these incredible creators and videographers um, more than it ha- has been in the public eye but i made a decision um, long ago that i would rather 100 I, i'd rather 0% of the praise and 0% of the criticism than 100% of the praise and 50% of the criticism you know i i i, I can't stress to you I guess how much more free it is to not be, uh, not live your life by the opinions of people that you don't know. So, and and that's that. You know, something I got a lot of opinions about. But maybe listeners don't know this so much. With magic is a very competitive niche. It's a lot of creative people, a lot of egos.
1: It's really you know, bitchy.
0: It is, yeah. Are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to say that on this podcast? You can say whatever the it fuck is. you want. fuck oh, <laughs> yes. Right, okay, so, so magic is, is bitchy, and I, I, I've had time to, like, ruminate on this. Mm. Um, I think it's to do with, in creative endeavours, such as magic, people inject a piece of themselves into their work, so then anything that goes wrong or right about that, they take as personal praise or personal attacks, yeah. So you, you have to you have to balance people's egos, and I used to enjoy getting involved with the fights and and slamming people, and but yeah, I, you know I've grown up over the years, and and now I just find it
1: really abhorrent. Yeah, I mean I I, I really stepped away from the magic community about I can say round about five years ago. Not that I don't. Like magic, or but I, I found that the community was so uh, it's vitriolic. You know, they had these. You, you had some people. I mean, there's a, still a bunch of magicians who I respect as performers and as people, and I still chat with them. But the the magic forums, the magic Facebook groups, that kind of community, and and I guess this applies to any kind of community of that nature where it is creative. But there is just so much just. Mudslinging, and it's you know, and yeah, I, I think it comes down. Like I said this to a friend: like, do you know any plumber
0: that is friends with five thousand plumbers on Facebook? <laughs> and Good and point. the answer is no. And it, and with magic, you're you're friends with all of your competition, all of them. So yeah. I think that's where it goes wrong. Is that? You're in such close competition for either releasing a effect or for getting a gig in London, for doing a corporate event, or for nailing a TV show with Netflix. You're up against so many talented people that it becomes very, very toxic.
1: Yeah, I think that the like you said that the word ego is uh, a massive, massive thing. Um, like for example, I saw I saw uh, on Instagram yesterday that one of my good friends who I kind of lost contact with a bit, uh, James Brown, who you know well. Um, yeah. I saw that he he was back out performing because he's uh, he's not been performing for a while. And he was kind of historically... Somewhat, if someone was going to inquire about a magician locally, they'd inquire with me and with him. You know, it was yeah. kind of like direct competition. Um, and I was absolutely just delighted to see him back out performing again because, you know, he's just... All round top guy, like super nice guy, really really talented performer, and you kind of go, yes, that's the sort of for me, that's the sort of magician I want to be out there. That's the sort of person yeah. I want to be performing and showing magic because there are so many bad magicians out there doing such shit that yeah, you know yeah. they're just going to be tearing the opinion of magic down. Whereas I know that someone like James is going to be building it up. So it's that kind of. I remember getting a phone ego. call. It's moving past yeah. ego idea. That's really really important for a lot a lot of people
0: and on that note i remember getting a phone call from a venue and i quoted them to do magic at this particular venue for the Ryder cup mm-hmm. and they said and it was local to me at the time so they said yeah no we can definitely uh use you instead and i said what do you mean instead and they said well our usual magician on the books is gary jones and i was like well book him book him He's so much better than I am. He's been doing it for 20-something years. Like book, That's his full-time job, you know, like, book him. Yeah. But it, I think it, that definitely takes a lot for someone to admit, you know, to themselves that they're not as good or to pass that up, mm. which is a skill, I think.
1: So on, on that note, um, how, how did you... Cope with ego. Yeah. How think, did how um, did it, how did it change from being um, something that was a big issue for you? In my if it was a big issue to moving to moving past. I've made a big assumption based upon what you said, but um, I, I don't think it was a big issue for me. Which
0: ironically sounds egotistical. Um, oh, I've never but, heard of ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who me? <laughs> no. Um, I don't think so because I've always, you know, I grew up obese and I've, you know, I'm still not at my goals now, but I was, you know, morbidly obese. I used to be, you know, 23 and a half stone. So I had my own self-doubt, my own uh, personal demons to kind of get over. Mm. So I never really thought that I was all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some people put up a front sometimes. Yeah. I remember getting, um, you know, a friend came over to me at the session convention. Mm. And when when you work for, you know, a company that's prominent in the industry, people tend to know you. But in my mind, I didn't know that they would know me because there were so many other people to know. So a friend came over to me and he said, why didn't you say hello to that guy over there? He thinks you're arrogant. And I said, what guy? And he said, this, is a, like, this kid, He's, he must be about 14. He's looking at you from over there, him. He's like pointing <laughs> at this kid. And he said, he, he was looking at you and you didn't come over and say hi. And I'm like, how, like how, how ironic is it that this kid thought I was too arrogant to say hello? But in my mind, the arrogance would be that you see someone looking in your direction and then you say, oh, they must be looking at me. <laughs> that person must know who I am. And I'm going to go over and say hello to make their day. And it didn't really, like in my mind, I just knew at that point, I wasn't, I didn't have the personality to be in the spotlight or to be a performer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, and then I, I also, um, I love to read. I love to write. I do, like you said, you know, I'm a big fan of stoicism. So I do often think about situations, um, and and it, it kind of got to a, a place where I would I would argue that I was right no matter what. So if I thought that I was correct. I would go to the end of the earth, like a dog with a bone. I would not give up. <laughs> and I remember seeing a, it was a Ryan holiday uh, email came through. It was a blog post and it said, it's not enough to be right. You also have to be kind. Yeah. And, and then I thought back to all the times where I, you know, destroyed somebody online with logic and, or references or credits or, A story that they weren't aware of or I fleshed something out to to kind of prove that I was right and they were wrong. And I just realized, what's the point? Because, you know, if you don't do that with compassion, you know, if, if it's not coming from the right place, if it's doing it just to kind of fill your own ego of like, I'm correct in that situation, then it's not even worth the battle and right now like i said i just kind of withdraw
1: from all of it i don't you know it doesn't really affect me in that way yeah i mean i think we can we can all back look back at times in our lives where you go yeah i was right but i did not handle that as well as i wish i but you know we, we can't always do things perfectly and you know the things that we we learn as we get older and the way in which we handle situations just evolves. Um, so, you know, you go back 10, 15 years and you might think, right, well, I'm going to shout over this person and I'm going to shout loud enough or whatever. And then I'll be heard. Um, whereas it was, was it Zeno that says that you've got uh, two, uh, two ears and one mouth, and they should be used in that proportion. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. kind of that the idea of just listening, you know, and just taking on board what someone's actually saying and going, okay, I'm listening to what you're saying, but what's where's this coming from? What's the meaning behind this? And then, then processing that almost completely differently. Maybe it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a strange thing looking back at how we have dealt with situations in the past, and sometimes I just go, ah, oh, really? Is that yeah? Is that how I did it? Is that oh. But it's. it's, I think think that there's that famous line, isn't it? Hurt people, hurt people. Yeah.
0: And um, and and I I often now I think, whenever I see someone, you know. Like I I don't use Twitter, but Twitter's become almost like a source for news now, where they say this prominent person tweeted this, and then it sparks a news story. So you know, I often see it, but. But but I think what possessed you to tweet that about that person whilst watching a football game or whilst watching a rugby game or whilst, you know, you're live tweeting like, I don't know, some something like married at first sight um, and you're like, oh, I can't believe she wore those shoes. And, and I think, who are you? <laughs> like, who are you that you put that out into the world that like... You didn't just keep it to yourself. You wanted everyone to know that you were criticizing someone else. And then and then, it, then, I, then it's compassionate because I think, oh, I, I pity you. You must be really sad about your life to be jabbing other people publicly.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of thing, the, the line that goes through my head is, who hurt you? you know, yeah. when, when you see stuff like that, it's <laughs> yeah. like, like, what happened to you to make you think, to make you think that you have to do that, and yeah because, because I, I just look at stuff like that. I mean I, I i'm I'm not an active Twitter user either, but I see the sort of I know exactly the sort of thing you're talking about. and I just think, why have you like literally wasted your energy on that? Yeah, like we've got ever you know the, the stoic idea of you know momentum or I, remember that you're gonna die one day um we've got a limited amount of time on the planet and you decide to you know each day you've got to decide how you want to spend that day that minute that hour that whatever and you still got people deciding that they're going to go you know what i'm going to get involved in an argument about fuck all for no reason let's go told my neighbor if that cat shits on my lawn again i'm gonna smear it in her
0: face and I, and I tagged her in on Facebook. And I, I think, you know, to me, like right now, this, this Ukraine thing is kind of really poignant, really topical. Like you just said, memento mori. Like I've spoken to so many people about the situation before I knew anything about it myself. So I didn't, I don't really watch the news. So I'd heard, you know, second or third hand from people. Hey, this is happening right now. And um almost every single one of them said, well, you know, we could all be gone tomorrow. Putin could, you know, press the nuclear button and mm. it's game over for all of us. And then they went straight back to their lives. They went <laughs> straight back to like, <laughs> you know, checking themselves safe in the snowstorm or the winds have mm-hmm. Storm Dennis or whatever it is. But like, it's really... It's comical. I guess quite comical.
1: Yeah. It's, um, people say these sort of things, but at no level other than a surface level does it register with them in any way. It's just like, well, yeah, you only live, uh, you only live once, but I'm still going to do this stuff. It's a complete waste of time. You know, it's, um, it's, it's like, well, (laughs) which is it? (laughs) You know, are you going to take on board what you're actually saying to yourself or are you, um, you're going to keep doing the farcical stuff that gets you nowhere. Do you struggle with that? So like I find myself, even though I'm a big fan of stoicism,
0: I do find myself reminding myself, checking myself, uh, calling myself a hypocrite whenever I allow someone's opinion to affect me. Does that, do you ever go back to yourself and think,
1: "Oh, yeah, I need to kind of
0: reread this?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely not a perfect stoic, um, as they say. Um, well, no one says, but uh, you know, you know what I mean by that, at least. Uh, but oh, do you want me to say it? So then someone be, has said it. That that would help. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah you're not a perfect stoic. No, I'm. Not. I'm really. I really am not. Um, I'm very good at letting not letting people's other people's opinions affect me. So I've been through so much in the last couple of years, at least, that it just it very much is water of a duck's back. Um, yeah. So that 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 side of it I'm quite good at. Um, the part I'm st- I struggle with most at the moment is acceptance, just because I've got this ongoing back thing, which may get better, may not get better. And it's this kind of well, ha- and I haven't found anything suitable to read about it, something proper to digest. We go, accept something that may or not be the thing that you have to accept or not. So I don't want to accept it if it's not the thing I have to accept. And because it feels like then you're letting go of hope and you want to keep hold of hope because without hope, what have you got, right? So that's the kind of the bit that I I kind of seesaw on. Um, But yeah, I I think that there's, um, what did I call it before? Self-development signalling, there's a lot of that that goes on. We just go, yeah, I'm doing this. It's like, okay, if it's for you, then why are you telling everyone? Um, yeah. That's why I,
0: I never put my name on donations, ever. Like, yeah. for any charity donation that I do, I never put my name on it, even if it's for a friend's GoFundMe mm. or a, a birthday thing. I ne- because I, I don't ever want to be doing it for the praise from them or, for the, or, you know, publicly. And there's been a, a couple of instances where I've, um, you know, denied my involvement in something and, and it's benefited a friend and they're like, oh my God, this just happened to me. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy.
1: Well, I, why, why I, I mean, like, if, I mean, I, I, I get it, but then I don't get it if you're almost being directly asked about it. Is it, I mean, what what's the worst that could happen if you did receive praise for that? Uh,
0: it's, I, I just find I find it quite um, well gross. I mean, I'm trying not to say fucking gross, but we can swear <laughs> on this now. But like,
1: we can. Whenever we can. I
0: see a video of like, hey, you know, here's a video. it's got four million views of this guy helping the homeless. Oh, those are and it. And then, you know, hey, I just donated, at least people share it. Again, this is like social media gripes that I've got, but people share it. Like, I just donated 50 pounds to Liam's wheelchair fund. And then my question is, who is that for? Like, who is that for? So, um, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a massive, I'm not really spiritual, but I'm a massive believer in karma. I don't know if you are. Um D- depends on your definition of it but uh, uh yeah I, I guess my life is very very lucky very I say, very fortunate and um I always find well especially in, in university you know like when you, I was studying in uni and and every now and again I'd be completely broke for like a night out or something and I would I would And again, I'm not spiritual, but it would be the universe coming back to me and saying, you know, hey, you did this nice thing for somebody else. Here you go. So whenever it would happen, I'd be broke. And my friends would say, do you want to come out on a night out? I don't really have any money. Mm. And then one of my friends would say, oh, you gave me 100 quid last month and I haven't paid it back. So here you go. And then I would have money. Or my dad, he would say, oh, hey, um, you know that website you helped me build? I've you know got it up and running, and I did a little uh, Saturday extra shift today. And here you go, and he would drop some money down. So it would always be, you know, I, I would do nice things and forget that I've done them, and don't collect praise for them. And they would always come back to me. And I don't do the nice things just to get things in return. But it would it would just kind of work that way. You know, that that I would do something and then it, something good would happen to me. So I I kind of had this, uh, not, an, not an epiphany, but like, a, you know, almost like a, a personal goal to just never collect praise for like charity work or mm. anything that you offer. Don't put my name on it. Um. Because if you if you really did want that benefit, if you really did want extra beds for dogs in the dog's home that winter, or to save, you know, dogs from a Romanian slaughterhouse, or if you really did want your friend to have that pay rise, then how it came to be makes no difference. Yeah. You know? I, so I yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's me. Maybe it's just me.
1: But there is some method to that madness. Well, I I think that's I I guess I've got two points to make on that. And it's that I don't want to dive down a social media rabbit hole, but it's kind of like the idea where if you accept praise and you accept compliments, too willingly from people then you also you're giving more power to their opinions what other people's opinions in general so that if you receive damnation from people or you receive a a lack of likes then that can hurt you just as much as the 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 praise can which is kind of going back to what you were kind of alluding to at the 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 start of our conversation that the, the more the more power you give to people's Praise the more power you give to their kind of criticism, unkind words, yes. Critic- criticism. Yeah, that's the word I was struggling for. Um, uh, so yeah, so yeah, I, I I can appreciate that for sure. Um, with regards to, I mean i I wouldn't necessarily call that karma in 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 terms of my definition. Well, mm, I don't know. I, I wrote a blog about karma being bullshit before. Am um, I? Mm-hmm. And I, because I don't think that there's. Oh, wait, oh, is this the goal of today to get ourselves cancelled? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, I, I'm this. I'm this. I do not think there's a universal scale that tips up and tips down with the good and the bad that you you do. I don't think the universe gives a damn. I think we're we're matter on a planet, and there's millions of planets out there. What I do think, though, and I in, in my blog, I actually um, related it to Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I don't know if you've played that or not. Um, no, no. It's a cowboy game like Grand Theft Auto, essentially, uh, for those of you that don't know. And there is there is in it uh, an honor system. So basically, in the game, you can do whatever you want. So you can go around to shooting literally everyone, committing all sorts of crimes and whatever. And if you do that, then people don't talk to you in the street. People kind of hide from you. um, And people just don't generally want to be around you because they see you and go, oh my God, there's that guy. And he did this and this and this and this. And on the flip side, if you go around and you help people and you help someone find their lost horse, or you help a lady cross the road, or you help someone find their way home or whatever, then people will say hello to you in the street and people are nice to you. And when you go into a shop, you get discounts. And it's, Mm. and. I don't think it's about the universe balancing things out, but I think you, you and your reputation um, can has an impact on the small amount of people that you may know. And when it comes to um, good things happening to you, you're more likely to be treated well if you've treated other people well. Um, yeah, and then, and that's so. I I don't think it works on a universal level, but I just think in general, if you're a good person, then you're a lot more likely to be treated well, just because, you know, good generally breeds good, and bad generally causes more bad. Um, so I think that when people say you make your own luck, well, you kind of do in a way because. Opportunities are not going to be presented to you as readily if you've fucked a load of people over in your life slash career. So hashtag rant yeah. over. Yeah, I agree with you. Although I do,
0: I do think that those that don't defend themselves will get walked over. So at what I, I kind of Can't see... Can't be a doormat. Yeah, especially within, you know, magic, is that some people that I know... Who are terrible human beings, like purely scum of the earth? Human beings are very, very popular. They're, you know, very, very popular within a niche, and it's and then people who are really nice that you meet, they get these stories told about them. You know, like, oh, you need to be careful about so on. they'll screw you over, and then what you again it comes down to ego. It's they they weren't able to admit their own faults, and they've found a scapegoat who didn't want to fight back and um so yeah i I do feel like it's not enough to be just good as well you also
1: you need to have boundaries and this this is yeah yeah this is something that i i deal with with a number of therapy clients because it's not normally the really horrible people who have anxiety it's normally the good people who've been kind of pushed and shoved around and it's about this idea of yeah be a really good person be a really kind person but you've got to have boundaries because without boundaries you do just become that doormat um and you know boundaries are really hard for people to come by sometimes because they're worried about upsetting other people but one of the things I point out is the big difference between being kind and being nice. because it's, it's the nice people who are just nice all the time. They do nice things. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sometimes to be kind, you've got to say, uh, sorry, love, you look terrible in that dress or, yeah. or your uh, breath is stinking after that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: need exactly. a, you need a piece of gum. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, you were talking about, you said, uh, you know, karma's bullshit or whatever. I wrote a blog, which I thought was going to be controversial during COVID. But everyone that read it, that was kind of close to me in my close circles, they really saw comfort in it. And I said that the blog was something like, I don't say depressed. I say justifiably sad. And when everyone was locked in, at the height of the pandemic, everyone was locked in. There was no outside stimulus. People had lost their jobs. They were struggling to get by because their wages had gone down by 60% or they were self-employed, you know, or they had the pressure of homeschooling kids whilst trying to hold down a nine to five on Zoom, which was brand new to them at the time um, in terms of the way that they worked. And I was like, yeah, that is shit. (laughs) like you you have to just accept like that's been thrust upon you that situation is justifiably sad like it's you as a person are not suffering for no reason you know like there there are tons of reasons there that just landed in your lap that would break many people so it's okay I kind of had to like remind them like You know, you don't have to submit and just say, okay, now I'm, you know, now I'm depressed and this is the way it is. I'm like, no, that, that, you feel that way because of these factors. Like, I I don't know. It's, it it gave a lot of comfort to people because I I often think, you know, I'm a big listener to certain podcasts, like science podcasts and things. It's one guy called Andrew Huberman He has a, Podcast called Huberman Lab, and one of the episodes was was on feelings and the placebo effect and that kind of loop within your brain, and and I could see you know like the impact that that would have that the pandemic kind of had on everyone. Mm. So do do you how did you approach that? I guess with your clients, like what
1: did what were the major things that they were suffering with at the time so there was i, I think that the the biggest thing that I, I kind of you know pandemic no pandemic whatever one of the biggest things that it's important for people to remember uh is that we're human and as such yeah. you know like if you like look at if you look at your, your cat during the pandemic like It just went, okay, so I'm gonna sleep here for a while for about 16 hours, then I'm gonna want some food, and then I'm gonna sleep a bit more, then I'm gonna want some food, and it just carried on as normal because it you know the cat's lucky enough to not be sentient enough about the what's going on around them. They just kind of get on with it. But as you know, as sentient human beings who have feelings and emotions, you're supposed to feel sad. You're supposed yeah. to feel upset. You're supposed to feel all of the things that you feel when you've got a some a cause a cause and effect. If you've got a cause, it's going to have an effect. So if something terrible has happened, like people say, well, why do I feel this way? Uh, because you just lost your job. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know how you're going to get food on the table. Um, yeah. And you're, you've you're living you and your spouse can't leave the house and you're not normally spending 24 hours a day with each other so it's a new thing you're trying to negotiate um and there's a global pandemic on it and you're not sure about your loved ones and you can't see them and you can't see your friends but other than that no reason at all to feel sad (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just like other than these nine things you're okay your life's good yeah so it's and it's one of the things that you know across the board i think it's really really important for people to understand is that you're supposed to feel emotions i mean sometimes we don't want to sometimes you just want to kind of switch that do a little switch in the head and like nope turn them off it's like no 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 they're there they're there to be processed they're not there to be crushed down with you know drugs or alcohol or whatever they because they will come out one way or another um you can't run from yeah Have you ever struggled with addiction uh, yeah I have going this is going back a long long while now um, i I wouldn't say I was ever an alcoholic, but um I drank a lot um, mm-hmm. and bigger addiction I had was uh, fruit machines weirdly enough wow really the little put a pound in put a pound in lose it, yeah. put another pound in lose it. And yeah. it was this is going back leave to, with nothing and watch the next guy put one pound in and win it all. Exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. It yeah. was, um, it was a formal, then this is like it was the the worst time of my life. So this is going back to when I was 18, 19. So this is well, we're getting into the weeds now. Yeah. 18 or 19 years ago. So yeah, yeah it was a time of depression, suicidal thoughts, and self harm. Um, that's that's where my life was. So it was, um, it was a weird thing where it was better than self harming <laughs> like mm-hmm. like it was this kind of idea of like right I'm gonna stand here and I've got some pound coins, and well I'm gonna be here in this zone and I'm fully invested in what I'm doing right now, and this is better than sitting at the bar thinking about killing myself and this is better than sitting at home thinking about killing myself um so it was that was kind of what drove it, but obviously it was really expensive, um, got me into a, a bit of debt. Not a huge amount because, you know, you, you'd be going something to get into a lot of debt just on fruit machines. But, um, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a very unhealthy time of my life. Uh, and, um, yeah. What, what, what about yourself? Have you had addiction issues before?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I've never really drank a lot and I've never had any drugs. And I think it's because... Uh, you know if I can't say no to cheesecake then <laughs> how am I going to cope with cocaine you know <laughs> like, like like I, I, I knew I, I kind of knew that you know if I opened a bar of dairy milk and I had to finish the entire thing that I would I would not fare well with drugs so I've abstained I'm lucky enough to be you know away from all of that and then losing weight. Um, like one of the things that they tell you if you're going on a night out, they tell you to drink like spirits, like just straight shots because it's way less sugar. So I got into just drinking straight whiskey with some ice and, and that was like a diet choice. But it also slows you down. It's more of a sipping thing. You know, you, it has extra proof. So, you know, for your friends, you know, five pints one shot really is kind of like, it has the strength. If you, if you follow them pint for pint or shot for shot with whiskey, it's going to be a dangerous night out. So yeah, I was kind of lucky in that way. That really slowed me down. But I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say food, you know, definitely food. I was t- I'm trying to work out what my trigger was, you know, like what made me do that. Tea cakes, know, delicious.
1: What,
0: yeah, yeah, and Dairy Milk, jelly popping and candies, delicious. Yeah, I think it, it just kind of, um, I guess maybe as a, a as a teenager, just eating unhealthy and school packed lunches and everything was chocolate and that sugar was tricking your dopamine sensors
1: into thinking, oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, well, um, I remember a previous episode, one of the most popular episodes this, uh, of the podcast so far, it was one with uh, Anissa. This was going back I think it's episode six, memory serves correct. And she said she struggled with um, anorexia and <clears throat> kind, of, kind of like the opposite, I guess. But she said that the she was, had been bullied, and there was one thing that she knew she could control was her eating right so you could just go right what can i control so i can control this and if i control this then i can feel better about myself right so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna eat more than this or i'm only gonna eat eat this so it can be that just in reverse like so i'm unhappy about this what can i do well what makes me unhappy these these things make me happy what makes me happy oh this food here when i eat this it tastes nice and it feels good so i'm gonna do this and it is yeah I mean, I think sometimes people look for really complicated reasons, like... Oh, yeah, my dad did didn't you? show up to my rugby game when I was five. Yes, <laughs> that happened, and therefore I, that's why I started. And it's like, well, maybe you just kept doing the thing that made you happy over and over again. Yeah, it's probably that. I think... Um, that was a kind of you a know, generic you rather than kind of psychoanalyzing you. Like I'm <laughs> oh, oh, mate, go ahead. <laughs> you can try and
0: psychoanalyze me i think i i do see i think everyone you know when people say oh, i've got this addiction or i've got an addictive personality i think everyone has the capacity to be addicted to something and whether it's whether you're addicted to yourself or whether you're addicted to self-care or grooming or food or alcohol or drugs or um well porn whatever your addiction is people have got I think I personally, my view is that I'm I'm no expert. I think everyone's got the capacity to have an addiction to something. Maybe they've found it. Maybe they haven't yet. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. You know, I used to look at drug addiction. Again, I used to have disdain for it when I was younger. Oh, just throw them in jail. (laughs) And, And then you get older and you kind of learn more about it. And you think, oh, no, these... These people have kind of been forced. They've been forced into a situation, or they've fallen into a, a vicious cycle now that they can't get out of. And uh, no, you know, it's, it's inappropriate to punish them for a poor choice. Yeah. Um, versus offering them help, which is again, I, I guess, you know, interesting about it. mental health. Really has come a long way in recent years. Um, yeah. I sure. To, Used to love watching like traffic cops and motorway cops, and then it it became it got to a certain point where almost every thing they were featuring was someone who was having a mental episode, whether it was uh, a breakdown or whether they've they were just upset and suicidals. So they've climbed a bridge and now they've obstructed the motorway. And I, I've always found it odd that there isn't another emergency service for that yet, that we've not invested in that yet.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was an incident um, in Weymouth, to road for me, where there was someone on top of a multi-storey car park and there was like eight police cars there around them. And it's going, well, is this, is this what the police should really be doing? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they... No one should be doing that, but yeah, like, should that should that be the police? I mean, it's interesting you should bring that up about um, addiction and how your kind of view of it's evolved. Because I think it's with a lot of things, addiction mainly, whether it's addiction to smoking, addiction to heroin or cocaine or gambling, whatever it is. If it was a simple conscious choice, just to go. I'm not going to do that anymore, then everyone would have stopped. But it's not. It's not It's not something that happens at that kind of very conscious level of... I mean, it's something that typically has got very, very ingrained into your psyche or it's got, got ingrained into what makes you up as a person. You know, people go, like, almost proudly tell you, I'm a smoker. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> it, that... Smoking has become who they are and you're asking them to get rid of that. Yeah. The doctors are telling them to get rid of that. I mean, even at the cost of their own life, they're like, no, no, this is, it, it feels like part of them. It's,
0: it's. Yeah, it's- that, that's something as well. Maybe I'm old or, or cynical, but I am so annoyed by labels these days. You know, I saw a great interview with Morgan Freeman and they were like, hey, do you find it difficult to be a black actor in Hollywood? And he was like, no, I'm an actor. I'm an actor. But, you know, like you said, people proudly wear labels now. I'm a smoker. I'm a gambling addict. I'm a sex addict. You know, they put themselves into, you know, I'm a magician. I'm this, I'm that. It's, I'm a it's strange. Illusion. Yeah, it's very strange that these labels that people kind of define themselves by, we're all so complex you know if someone said oh just, just define yourself for me
1: two words you? yeah
0: it's impossible i don't i don't know how you could could ever do it i don't know how people do that um, it's i it, i find it you know a very odd again i could moan about social media all day but i do think there's been a tremendous impact on people's psyche people's mental health people's uh self-worth and self-esteem with the advent of social media and the impact that it's had and well,
1: i, I un- undeniably so it's i mean there's a there's some good on there but there's god damn it there's a lot of bad out there and yeah it's uh slightly terrifying
0: <laughs> no but you've got kids haven't you Have you had like a veto on TikTok tock and, and things like that in your household
1: it's uh, it's there's, there's not a veto on it, but it's well if you go if you're having an account, it's a private one, and you are only allowed to um, have people follow you who you actually know in person, not just kind of random people. And mm. just I'm following their accounts so I can see the content they're putting out there, and as to yeah. what they're consuming, it's it's difficult because you don't want to be that helicopter parent that because it, it's strange um, so I've got my eldest is 12 and she kind of asked to watch films I go, oh let me check on IMDB let me see what sort of content's in there and then I think mm-hmm. what was I doing when I was 12 was I was I already playing Grand Theft Auto like the first one like the yeah, top down yeah. one where you're just running over people and what films had I seen by the age I was 12 and and I think that I'm probably I don't know if I'm probably being stricter than I was parented, but my reasoning behind it, I think, is that I've realised how for how short a time you get to be a kid. Yeah. Once you've kind of broken the seal on high-level violence, high-level sexuality, high-level kind of just intense adult themes and stuff, yeah that's it you know you that becomes a, a bit more normal so i i know that my eldest knows every swear word i mean my youngest may even know every swear word for all i know i know that she yeah. knows it but it's about the i mean i know that she'd watch deadpool for example and she'd find it absolutely hilarious but yeah. the, the the and i love it i love it i absolutely love it hilarious i but the just normalization of all of that stuff all of that content is not something that I want her to be using I mean I don't like she could probably watch it and it might be fine and it might not change anything but you know like I said once you've opened the door a slit it's like well you let me watch this so now and, and then what's the argument so but yeah social media it's a it's a tough one it's like, a, it's like it's like really a, it's, a, it's a tap for validation which might not always run and i think that's the the danger of it is that you go turn it on it give me some validation i need validation make me feel good and the danger is that it does make you feel good um <laughs> did do, do, do you grow up with like really stern parents no no not at all um they they not not stern i wouldn't say they just I think most of the I I go around a friend's house and he'd be like, Yeah, I've got uh, the nightmare, I've got nightmare on Elm Street or whatever, and I'd be like ten or here's it when I'm yeah like, and you just go, Okay, we'll watch that. Oh my god, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like Yeah. Don't think I horrifying. ever saw still horror- horrifying at my age. I'm 31. I, <laughs> I don't don't wanna watch that. Yeah. It's so that sort of thing where you go. I don't think I experienced much of it in my own house, but it was like, go to a friend's house and, you know, once, I think that age, like, once you left the house, you're like, okay, be back by whatever time. (laughs) Yeah, I do find that odd.
0: Like, um, nowadays, you don't really see, you know, like, 10-year-olds out on their bikes on their own. It's usually like with a parent. I remember we would go like, wake up in the morning, summer holidays, 8 a.m., chuck some clothes on, get some money, put a backpack on, get some water, grab your bike. We would go on, you know, five, 10 mile bike rides, stop at a quick save, buy some scotch eggs, like, or some sandwiches, like, and a massive bottle of lemonade for like 10 pence, and come back at like 11 o'clock at night. And my parents never worried. But if, if I had a 10-year-old right now and mm. they said I'm gonna go out on my bike, I'd be like, where are you going? Let me put an Apple Air tag on you. If a stranger <laughs> tries to speak to you, just spit in their face and run. Like <laughs> I, I'd probably be so neurotic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't want to go too dark on this at all, but I, I appreciate it's like entirely different. But then you had situations in 70s 80s 60s 50s where children would just go missing and then they were never yeah. seen again and all of a sudden it's the Moors murders or something like that so there was this kind of lax parenting but it was let's say it wasn't perhaps without its consequences not that i'm like victim blaming or parent or vi- parents of victim blaming but there are bad people out there and there always has been so you know you got to kind of do your best to protect them where you can, right? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't
0: have kids right now, but I, I do think, I think everyone that is a parent tries to kind of make up for the mistakes of their own parents, don't they? They observe it and they say, ah, well, I'll never be like that or I'm gonna do the opposite to this or,
1: you know, I'm gonna make sure I'm there at 6 p.m. with my car to pick them up. Yeah, I think people like either become exactly like their parents or they strive to be the opposite of. Um, I think I'm trying of, I'm probably in the middle. Like you go, yeah. I liked this bit. This bit could have been better. Because um, you know, like, one of the other things is that I think people need to learn. And I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, with regards to how you were brought up and with regards to how people, how friends respond in situations. Is that most people are just doing the best they can with the limited resources that they have. So if, yeah, if your parents were shit, it probably wasn't on purpose. It's just that they didn't know how to do it. They just did the best they could. And that's not to yeah, say yeah. that like mo- most people aren't deliberately evil or deliberately bad. They just like, "I have no idea how to do this." because you have a kid, yeah. and, they, and, that, and then hospital go, "Here's your kid, best of luck." like you don't get a man there's a
0: there's a famous like jordan peterson lecture and he says you know the u.s army has an iq limit and if you fall beneath that limit they say that you're too stupid to be taught how how to point and shoot it's not worth the money and resources for them to train you because beneath that iq level for them is is wasted money and he says, do you know how many people fall under that level? And it's one in 10. So at least within America anyway. So when you, like you said, it's, you have a lot more compassion for people when you realize they're just doing the best they can with whatever resources they've got. Mm-hmm. If you meet 10% of people, that the U.S. Army would say it's not worth investing in those people you know what outcome are you going to get you can't expect the best you know it's the best that they have the capacity for yeah so yeah and i think that's really important it's a really important view where do you live now do you live in your hometown where you grew up or did you move away
1: i'm uh, i'm in dorchester which is about 10 miles up the road from uh, where i lived for lived growing up so still my parents are still down the road um yeah it's next to my kid's school so yeah it's uh not, not are you still really friends much. with all of your school friends uh yeah i am and none of them are around anymore but you know my still you know we have the we have zoom calls and you've got best friends most of them are in london they've got one in sheffield one in berlin uh one i've lost contact with in Who's in Brunei of all places? Yeah, get so, wow. scattered all over. So, yeah, we um, yeah, we we still we still chat. We've got like a WhatsApp group where we share Wordle results mainly at the moment. Um, but uh, uh, but I'm, I'm addicted to Scrabble stuff. Go. I've never never played Wordle, but Scrabble Go. Oh, I no. I I mean I I probably I I used to play a lot of words with friends with my mum. Um, so yeah. I could imagine Scrabble Go being up my street I get really competitive as well <laughs> And, uh, and like, if I win by like three points I'm like yeah Brenda
0: take that, <laughs> take that. <laughs> screw you Brenda thinking you can beat me
1: <laughs> I know I learn all the, I learn all of the two letter words that's the, I mean, that's, so, that's the key to winning Scrabble. it's not yeah, yeah. it's not can I make a seven letter word every time it's like no can I play a four letter word which makes three other two letter words like, yeah like exactly recognizing what what you can make out of it
0: yeah i mean again we're going back to addiction that probably that
1: (laughs) probably scrabble is okay so i don't think either of us are qualified in addiction but um when does something you just really enjoy doing become an addiction do you reckon i think when your legs go dead on the toilet because you've been (laughs) playing it for so long (laughs) so you've Finished up. You should have wiped ages yeah. ago, and you just sat there for half an hour, still pounding it to Brenda. That came out wrong. Um, yeah. God. Wow. Yeah. Let's just confirm for the listeners that is Scrabble we're talking about. That is definitely Scrabble <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, I don't even know yeah. who Brenda is. She's a loser, Chris. That's all you need to know.
0: <laughs> Four games in, she lost every single one. No. Oh. Um. I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess when you choose to do that thing over something else productive that's on your list, you know, if you if you're supposed to do the dishwasher or take out the recycling, but you choose to spend an hour and a half playing Scrabble, probably at that point, is this, you know, this, this is just
1: entirely like hypothetical. This situation, right? Completely <laughs> hypothetical. That's
0: not my. That's not from my list right here now of tasks for today. Um, yeah, no, purely hypothetical. But I, yeah, I do, I do remember like deleting apps off my phone. This is something I, I guess that I kind of, I found myself doing was when I worked in an office, I found myself being too productive. I would put headphones in, I'd have a good playlist on, I'd have all my work done by two o'clock, but I couldn't leave till five thirty. I was a prisoner, so I found myself just drinking buckets of green tea and going to the toilet more often, and doing a round or a, a level of Candy Crush, yeah, and then going back just to waste time. Um, so I, I yeah, I do wonder how much of that is just you know, people trapped in mundanity where they're like, right, I can't do anything else for three hours. I'm stuck here in this building.
1: I may as well get into something like this. Yeah, I can, I can see where that's coming from. For sure.
0: But that's a, probably, a, you know, another reason why I'd never work in an office is I, I had my headphones on once, just carrying on with my work. And uh, someone came over to my desk waving at me hey hey hey." and i pull my headphones out and I say yep and i said did you see what shoes louise was wearing today (laughs) (laughs) she can barely walk in them and i'm like who cares who cares (laughs) but that that was like a i thought wow like
1: how much do you hate your job that that's the most exciting bit of your day how much you hate yourself to give a fuck what Louise's shoes is yeah. like, what her shoes are. I know. And
0: I still don't know what those shoes were, but I do remember leaving shortly after that.
1: It um, like they were huge clown shoes and they were like, they were really worth seeing and you missed out.
0: Yeah. So there's this
1: one point during the pandemic
0: where I came home and, like you said, I've been living with my girlfriend full time all day. She knows everything that I'm doing, I know everything that she's doing from waking up to going to bed. And I remember going to Tesco's and I, you know, I saw this old lady struggling and because of COVID, nobody was going near her. So, I so said, do you want me to grab that for you? And she said, oh yes, please. And I got it down. And she said, oh yeah, thank you so much. Uh, very sweet of you. That's, you're nicer than my own grandson. And then I left and I thought, "What? Well, that's a, first off, that's a very low bar, <laughs> you know, being able to like grab something, from up high, just, just because I was taller. But I remember coming home and telling her the story. She said, What happened to you today? And I went, Oh, well, I was in Tesco's. And <laughs> as I was reciting the story, I realized how boring it was. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my God, this is all that's happened in my day. Like, this is the only thing that's happened in my day is that I reached up high for someone else.
1: I was taller like, than someone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I just happened to be taller than someone in a shop. And um, and it reminded me I was in this, I was in an office and I, I had a, a teapot, like a glass teapot with an, an infuser and loose leaf uh green tea. And I would just basically make a teapot damn hipster. I, just, I know, I know. And um, but I never got a fixed gear bike, so I'm you know, I'm not full hipster. <laughs> I didn't I didn't fully evolve. But I, I remember, you know, a girl came over to me and she said, oh, me and my husband, we were laughing last night. We find it so funny how you've got a little teapot on your desk. And, and I, I thought, well, my teapot is a subject of conversation in your marriage. Like how, how low is the bar for you two? He's never even met me or my teapot. He doesn't know anything about it, but she's like, there's a guy in work and he's got a teapot and he's gone, oh yeah. Tell me about this teapot. Well, he puts green tea in it and water and it's so boring and so mundane, but it was a a gossiping subject for their marriage.
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) She found it so funny. She came to tell me how she was making fun of me. It is, uh, there is a low bar, I think, for, for gossip, I guess, for these days,
1: so, for what is considered interesting. So spiralling off of that, about the whole idea of mundanity, about nothing going on in people's lives, and I like appreciate sometimes it was like the the pandemic, but, you know, this was, when you were working in an office, this wasn't at that time. How do people find their passion? Because I know that when with what you do, the things that you've done in your life, when you when it's been creating tricks, when it's been like the marketing work we've done, and you know what you're doing now with illusionist, that's all come from the fact that you're very passionate about it. So how how do people find that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take
0: credit for this. I remember watching a Casey Neistat video years ago, and he said the fastest way for you to find out what you want to do is to do something you don't want to do. So when you work a mundane nine to five job where you have a meeting at 11 AM and it takes 20 minutes for someone to get a croissant <laughs> and to sit down and then they say, Oh yeah, I've got a good idea. How about we, and then they, they don't really have an idea. It's they're, just, they're there for the free breakfast. I think when you when you're in that environment, it it really does focus you. But I love to write. You know, I only got into marketing because I love to write. Like I write in my free time. Um, I write on weekends. I I love to write. I feel I can definitely express myself more. Writing it down and I can speaking, so yeah, that's kind of how I got got into it. Was writing. I wrote a an ebook when I was like nineteen with magic tricks in it, just because I loved to write. And you know, I was lucky enough that uh, someone who's prominent in the in the industry they published on their site. So that's kind of how I got into that. But I. I think everyone should kind of think about what they would do in their free time for no money. And whatever that is, is exactly what you're passionate about. And it could be anything. It could be, you know, my girlfriend loves organizing. So she loves color coding and labeling. She loves, you know, at Christmas time, that's just just passed. She loved doing buffets and incredible dinner spreads for the family and it's color-coded and napkins and that that was and you you can see it in her now that regardless of what the subject matter is it's the attention to detail it's the little one percent of things that she enjoys so i would say you know her passion is that is the organization side Mm. so it doesn't have to be specific to a niche or an art form or singing um or writing or photography. I think it would just be an aspect of your personality that you would do for free. I, I, I do coach a lot of friends informally. They ask me, oh, you know, how do I get into doing this? And how do I do that? And I, I try to say, you know, if you won 100 million from the lottery, what would you do with your time? And it's amazing to me how many people say nothing. They say, oh, just, you know, lie on a beach. I'm like, so you do not, would you take up guitar? Would you learn piano? Would you paint? Would you write poetry? What would you
1: do that's creative? That's a would really you- good question. Because that that lottery question that people, people get drunk and then they go, if I won the lottery, and then they, they go off in this whole diatribe of, um or monologue of, of what they buy yeah like no one ever says well what would you what would you do i mean some people would what would you do
0: yeah but you, there's going to be a,
1: a there's going to be a point where it's like
0: you know you you travel to the south of france and you're there for 5 days and you go to some restaurants and you go to the beach but after 3 months of doing that everywhere you're going to struggle to fill your day with nothing. And even even now when I go on a beach holiday, I load up on Audible and I'll lie on, you know, I guess not with the pandemic, but now things open up. I'll lie on the beach and I'll just go through all the books that I haven't had time to read. So I'm I'm there learning, I'm absorbing information whilst doing nothing. And I think, yeah, people do struggle with that question. But it's it's because they they haven't really they haven't really thought about they're kind of stuck in that that cycle of well, I, I get the kids up in the morning and I make them breakfast and I pack them off to school and I go to work and then I come home and I cook dinner and then I make sure they're bathed and I put them to bed and then I want to go an hour to myself. So they don't really have much free time to even
1: explore what their passion could be yeah and in that hour they're exhausted so they just end up doing the, the least the least energetic thing possible which is normally scrolling through their phone or whatever yeah or netflix you know yeah.
0: but i i did see like a study that said that the average time of that someone watches tv is 3 hours a day so it, you know if you think about those averages Even if it's 20 minutes of the news in the morning whilst you're eating breakfast, um, that does add up for people where you could be doing something else that you do enjoy. And I I also think now, you know, money is a big thing. When I was growing up, single income families were a lot more prevalent, a lot more popular than they are now. Mm. And, And I don't think you can exist in this day and age, with the cost of living, where it is as a single income family. So I do think you kind of lose some of that where it's, you know, maybe you would have had the time. there's a there's a couple that I know that they they alternate. One of them works for a year, the other one doesn't. And then the other one works for a year whilst the other one takes some time off. It's really interesting. I'm not saying it's great for everyone. They don't have any kids, so they can afford to do it. But it is interesting that they give they give each other a creative break. And in that time, they can do whatever they want. They can sell things on Etsy or they can you know flip things on eBay, or they can run a stand at a local dog show, whatever they want to do. But yeah, i I do I worry for people. I worry for people when they don't have a passion
1: yeah i think I think it's really important to to have something in your life which lights you up inside because if you're just if you are just caught in that kind of trudge of i get up I do this then I do this and then I go to sleep and then I do it again then I do it again and that's basic it's, it's this kind of idea of this kind of people getting in the head of this is how things have been so this is how they will always be and it's not actually yeah. true it, it I, will sometimes I, I think well, this is go on it, it it might take some sort of not Herculean but large effort to buck the trend in your life to be something different but it's very possible
0: this is another thing that
1: kind of spurred me on to just doing what I like to do
0: which is my grandmother uh, got cancer, terminal cancer, age 68. Now, not saying out of nowhere, because she's smoked her entire life. So it, it's not like it was a surprise to her or anyone else in the family. But that age now is just one year after the age of retirement. So for men, it's 67 in the UK. Mm. And it was a real eye-opener for me. When that happened, I immediately thought, this promise of retirement that everyone looks forward to, that our parents look forward to, and our grand, oh, I'm gonna work really hard, I'm gonna sacrifice everything that I can, so, and I'll go on all the holidays I want to, and I'll live exactly how I wanna live, and I'll get the car that I've always wanted when I retire. And nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. And the idea of retiring at sixty seven and dying, you know of terminal cancer a year later. You've got a year of freedom, one year of freedom. And as soon as that hit me, it's brutal. it was, a, it, was it was a ton of bricks. I was thinking, I don't have any time. I don't have anything. You know I, and there's, there's nothing that I look forward to in the future. Where, where i'll sacrifice today I, I won't say well i'll you know i won't go on a holiday this year and i'll just have two holidays you know in five years from now i'd rather do something now and get that now you know and and, it, and it's there is a balance of delayed gratification mm-hmm. of waiting and working towards the reward but i do feel like people have this dream in mind of I'm going to have kids and and I'm going to do everything for them. And I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to sacrifice my own happiness because when I retire, it will all be good.
1: And I just don't know that it it always will be. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't really agree any more of any more, all of that. I mean, I, I find it incredible that people have these five year plans. It's like what? <laughs> it's like, but I mean, I'm not saying don't have an idea in your head of what you want, but the people who go, yeah, so at, I'm going to meet someone when I'm 27, uh, then we're going to spend two years traveling around because I'll have earned enough money by then to, to have a couple of years off. Then I'll go back and do one year at work. Then I'm going to get pregnant and then, uh, I, yeah, by uh, 32, I'll have had the, had the baby. I'm just like, what? Like with my... With my uh, second child, it took two and a half, maybe three years to conceive her. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, let's have a kid. Okay. Okay. Next month, next month, next month. Oh, fertility treatment. Okay. Another one. Okay. Another round of, you know, it it there are going to be curveballs in your life, left, right, and center, whether they're small ones or whether they're ones that, you know, make you have to completely change track. So like you say, plan for tomorrow but live for today. Is that an expression? Yeah, well if it's not, it should be.
0: We should put that on t-shirts and sell it. Boom. <laughs> you can buy that merch, everyone, at uh the Chris and Garrett merch store
1: dot <laughs> co uk. Yeah. Qu- quickly set that up and uh, we'll get it We'll get it. We'll get it. Um, we'll get it out. There. And all proceeds go into the uh, fruit machine rehabilitation program. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, long, long gone. I, 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 the worst I do is the occasional scratch card. Now, just to go. Oh, I've got a couple of quid. Buy a scratch card.
0: Yeah. The- I think that's fine. You know, I do think that's fine. It's, it's interesting what you say about five year plans. I know a guy who was single, party boy. And then one night we all laughed at him. He's like, I've got a five-year plan. And he executed it like a recipe. It worked out exactly as he said. He said, right, I'm going to I'm gonna meet a girl in the next two months. I'm going to settle down with her. We're going to move in together by next year. We're going to do this. We'll be married by this year. You know, he gave it the exact year. And then then we'll do this, we'll have a kid, and then we'll move into a bigger house and we'll do this. And he
1: executed it exactly like he said. That's the first one I've ever heard of. Yeah. Well, that's why it stands out, because I've never known anyone to do the exact same. Plot twist. He's the unhappiest man in the world, and the only reason he executed it so well was just to prove the point to you guys. Well, and, that, and that, that's interesting that you say that like
0: about reaching goals, isn't it? It's like, what do what you, if you've ticked all the boxes of life, you've met somebody that you love, you've, you know, got married, you've got a house together, you've had kids together, where do you go from there? And I, I do, you know, I think about like uh, divorce statistics and, and things and that it's, it's probably because people are a bit lost. They've kind of ticked off those life goals. We've done this, we've traveled here, and we did end up going to New York and we did celebrate this anniversary and we have raised our kids and they've both flown the coop. And now what do we do? Like, they've got no
1: further ideas from there. Yeah, I think that, I, can't, I think it might have been Jordan Peterson again. Um... Who I'm not the biggest fan of, but you know, sometimes he says some sensible stuff. Um, and he said that most of your life isn't the holiday to Jamaica or, and it isn't the, you know, the, the wonderful trip to wherever. Most of your day is how your wife greets you at the door when you get home from work, or it's, you know, how you speak to each other around the breakfast table. Those mini interactions is what's going to make up 80% of your life. So if you want to be happy, the most important thing is to get those tiny minutia details right um because those are that's the bulk of it so you know once you yeah. once you've met someone and you've done all those things you've got to make sure you keep doing those little things right to remain happy and content in life so yeah i also think you know talking about content one thing that kind of freed
0: me as well is i remember making a conscious decision to like save money and to not be frivolous with it. And, you know, up until a month ago when it broke, I had an iPhone seven plus, which people used to laugh at me for so that they'd say, I thought, you know, I thought you had a good job. I thought you could, why have you still got this? And I, my answer was "I was what well, it, it works. And you know, I wear like unbranded, like clothing, just like, basic you know basic kind of like neutral colors and it it really was quite a freeing experience to like get away from the need to buy things to be happy like constantly
1: what's the what's the gary v quote um nfts buy my nfts no not that that one (laughs) There's a Um, stop buying shit that you don't need to impress people that you don't like. Yeah. Uh, Or 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 something along the lines of that. But I'm very much the same. It's like like a pack of uh ASOS t shirts, five pack for 20 quid. That'll do. Yeah. Much better than spending 45 quid on a branded t shirt that um, you know, is gonna (laughs) Uh, here's what I would say that I have got heavily into watches. I don't know if you're kind of on that train or not. Um, I had a, a Casio F91W, uh, which is like the oh wow, yeah, classic. Uh, oh, the they, they are they are they are classics. They, they are they are classic. The the battery ran out, and then I broke it trying. Well, I lost a spring trying to replace the battery, and uh, I am now uh, watchless. Um, so, I, I've got, I've got a nice watch upstairs, uh, which was bought by me for me by my ex. So I don't want to wear it. So, yeah, I had a when I I'm 31 now, but when I turned
0: 30, I I realized I I was looking at like keepsakes that were handed down from grandparents, and I realized my entire life was disposable. And it's you know IKEA furniture and Sainsbury's you know mugs and things and and generationally two generations ago, it would be, oh, keep those glasses nice so we can hand them down to the kids and grandkids, or you've got your your good cutlery. Like all those ideas have have like been lost and and erased. And I I remember thinking, you know, my my phone will be outdated and I can't pass that down. My laptop will be the same. It'll be burnt out. Uh, Any decks of cards that I open or produce or do anything where they'll be worn and battered. So there was kind there was of like nothing in my life that I had the ability to pass on. And then I was like, watches. The idea of a watch, you know, something that's mechanical and handmade, someone spent time in labor over, and then you can wear and enjoy, but it'll still work. 30 40 50 years later if it's looked after yeah it, it was really nice yeah man do you have anything like that do you have anything sentimental you're going to pass down to your kids um
1: just my knowledge uh <laughs> just and your NFTs and my NFTs buy them um yeah i no i i, I honestly have i have nothing uh, like Whitney Houston um, that was her song, wasn't it? Not because she's dead. Um. I, I don't know. I don't. You I no, that, no. One, that went over my head. Yeah, especially as a song called "I Have Nothing." Um, no, I, I no, I don't. nothing at all. Wow. Just what? Well, just PlayStation Four. Um, yeah, Red Dead Redemption <laughs> Two. Red Dead Redemption Two. Um, they can play that yeah. in a few years. Um, no, I mean I'm in a, a new place and I've had to decorate the whole thing and revamp the whole place so that maybe but i don't think property counts in regards to what you're talking nothing sentimental um you you've got me thinking i'll have to get something or other because otherwise it yeah, would just okay. be this uh, jacket i'm wearing or something like that you'll
0: have to get another casio i, get, and I do need to like like a goldfish you can just pretend
1: it was the same one it's the same one i mean that's that's, that's... my cassia from when i was a child yeah i think i think they're about 30 quid so i can i could stretch to that at the moment (laughs) yeah good it's good to have one of those i was gonna ask
0: you this as well because um you know like you said you're kind of into that stoic philosophy as well but what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given
1: oh um the the thing that flipped the switch in my head with regards to life um when i was on my hypnotherapy uh what's it called it it was after i'd qualified and you can keep keeping your skills brushed up um continuous professional development and that's the words i'm looking for um there's one quote from my hypnotherapy tutor and it's like floored me which was um do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not what you have now was once mm-hmm. among that which you desired that I think's epictetus or epicurus um just that that was just like because i was at a, a stage of life where i wasn't particularly happy um and that was just like well hang on a minute i've got all of this stuff i've got all of these things i've got all of these connections with people i've got all of these relationships with people and like <sighs> I had a I had a suicide attempt when I was uh, twenty, and I remember being in the hospital beds um, after an overdose. and I kind of can take myself back to that moment and go, when I was in that moment now, no matter how bad everything is in my life at any given moment, I can look back at that moment and go, well, Chris back then would have snapped both my hands off for this right now so no mm-hmm. matter how bad it's got that's that's how bad it was this is how far i've come this is how much i've learned this is how much better i can deal with things this is how much more resilient i am so that that one quote that just that this completely changed how i looked at life entirely so that that would be that would be my go to and, and yours Well, how deep do you want to get? As deep as you can go. Okay, so I don't think I've ever really
0: even spoken about this. So when when I was younger... An exclusive. Yeah, so when I was younger, I used to uh, work in security. So I used to be a nightclub bouncer. And the reason I was chosen wasn't because I was aggressive. It was because I was nineteen and I was in university, and I was—I knew all the people that were going out, so I, I had a much easier time to control people or to get them out of the club if they were being a bit too rowdy or smashing glasses or you know touching females inappropriately, which kind of happened a lot. And I could just go and have a conversation, and they recognised me from within the university. So they didn't wanna live with that conflict for the rest of their lives. Anyway, it became like a, the subject of a TV show. And, and in that, I was very sarcastic. Um, and they film you for like three months. And after you've kind of had a cocaine fueled fight, with somebody because you told them to finish their drink at 4am and they've spat on you and threatened to kill you and your family uh because they want to finish the dregs of their pint and then a camera's put on you at yeah hey what what, you know what do you think of that and it, it was kind of a like a trap you know i was i was sarcastic and i was um maybe a bit mean towards those people in, in hindsight, but that those interactions, they were distilled down to like three minutes of TV snippets on channel four. And, uh, you know, as a joke, I was, again, I was obese and it was a, just a dry joke. And, um, They said, oh, hey, you know, how's the dating scene? And I was single at the time. And I said, well, I've only been denied by one woman. It was a joke. It was literally just a joke. It's just being sarcastic about the fact that, you know, I was overweight with emo hair. Um, And I remember there was a news story in the Sun newspaper where they'd quoted a source that didn't exist, that I'd apparently slept with half the population of, Newport, which, which I did them. I Googled it because I was so curious. I was like, well, first off, nowhere even close. You know, it's not like I'm a, um, you know, that kind of person.
1: You know what Hugh that. that kind of,
0: yeah, exactly. So like, but I, I remember Googling it and I was like, that's like 250,000 people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'd, it's not even possible. But I remember you know, it went out and I became a bit of a laugh in stock because people that didn't know me took it seriously. You know, they they thought I'd actually claimed to have done those things or they didn't understand the, the nature of reality TV where they film you for three months and then you're on screen for three minutes. And I remember being at the petrol station and I was filling up my car And I get a phone call from my friend, Lisa, and she says, are you at the Shell Garage? And I said, yeah. And she said, the person in the pump next to you has just taken a photo of you and uploaded it to Facebook and said, look at this arsehole off the TV.
1: So they didn't know
0: me. They didn't speak to me, but they, they took a photo. And I, you know, I contacted the Sun newspaper. I got a retraction for it, you know, but no, everyone sees the headline. No one sees the retraction. And um, I really did hit rock bottom. Like I was upset. I kind of, I was the butt of of, of a joke um, that I'd, like I started the joke. Like it was a joke that I'd started, but everyone took it seriously. And because they thought it was serious and suddenly it was a joke on me as if I wasn't aware of it. So I remember sitting in a bathtub, uh, Contemplating suicide, like actually thinking this would be much easier, uh, you know, because we, you know, I was getting death threats again from 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 saying that people are drunk assholes at four a.m., uh, you know, because they want to fight you over over you know thirty milliliters of of a pint that they've been drinking, <coughs> and. um yeah, I just remember thinking about, you know, it's easier for my family and for me if I just ended it all. And then I get a message came up from nowhere and it was uh, just this girl like f- from university and she said, and it was a, a John Wooden quote and it said, uh, don't concern yourself or concern yourself more with your character than your reputation because your reputation is what everyone thinks you are and your character is what you actually are. Oh, wow. And it was, it was so poignant. It was probably the, the most impactful thing to kind of ever happen to me. And I, I remember the next day I messaged a friend. I said, can I come and work for you in Oxford? So I lived above his pub and I did web design for him during the day. And I did security then for him in the night. And no one cared. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody criticized me. Nobody was taking photos of me. And I realized that I was in this tiny little bubble, this tiny little bubble where the people in that town that kind of didn't know the context of how those shows are filmed. It was the most important, biggest attack on them as people ever. But as soon as you go outside of that bubble, where you contemplate killing yourself, you go outside of that bubble, and you're nobody again, it was so reassuring to like step outside of that. So yeah, I mean, I I learned a lot from not only that piece of advice which kind of triggered the move. You know, like I, I, I think I'm a good person and the people that knew me or that were close to me knew I was a good person, but I had in that moment, I had that reputation as not a good person or as, you know, or whatever it would be. So yeah, getting outside of that was really life-changing. It really put things back into the balance for me. So in terms of the advice that would be you know probably the best in it I, and I would say you know saved my life I know people use that too much it's a, a bit too much of a cliche oh, that literally saved my life but yeah I think getting, getting out of that situation and really realizing that who you are like deep down is what's important and not you know how people have taken it i know there's some people in relationships where it's ended badly and maybe the the friend you know the best friend of the person that's ended badly with will hate you because they're sticking up for their friend and that's great but I, as long as people remind themselves that's you, you know the, they don't they don't know what they're they're doing it based purely off reputation. They're doing it based off what they've been told and not what's true.
1: So yeah, quite a bit of a deep <laughs> turn. I don't know no, that's well, that's that's what we're here for. So I think that's a beautiful place to to end it. Not. yeah. I may have really enjoyed the
0: chat as well today. I yeah,
1: yeah so interesting stuff came out of it for, for sure um so one final question and this may, may lead to a long answer and it may not but it's a direct spin-off from what you've just said briefly that's going to be my uh, my adverb for you there briefly how do you stop caring what other people think about you
0: I would say self-development. You know, if it affects you that much, then you, there must be some element of truth to it. And if there is none, then you have to consider who is, is actually judging that, who is who's criticizing you. Are they an incredible person? Are they well-rounded? Are they self aware? Are they developing themselves? Or are they cunt? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it, if that's the case, it's water off a duck's back. And it, if you can see, hey, do you know what I didn't handle that situation correctly? And I've
1: got some work to do, then, you know, self development is the answer. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a a wonderful pleasure, a great chat, um, and I'll catch the rest of you for another episode soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks everyone for listening.
0: Head to gistcoaching.co.uk to read blogs, get in touch, or find out more about working directly with Chris to get your shit together. Enjoy today's episode, then give us a rating and hit subscribe. To follow us on social media, search for GIST Life Coaching.